This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. podcast about the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew i'm under strict orders not to make a crummy opener so i will just jump right in and tell you (laughs) (laughs) that this is a book podcast where each week one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it no goofs no nothing just serious business listen 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 (laughs) mr tell me how your house's heating system is (laughs) i didn't tell you not to riff i was just saying that i thought the very weird two minutes of audio that we recorded had a weird energy <laughs> and i wanted to take another run at it and uh-huh. now this intro has a totally different kind of weird energy yeah. but I, it is i am more comfortable with it mm. i feel like it's at least better to listen to <laughs> sure we so rarely do anything twice everything in one take that's us <laughs> Well, that's funny because this book is about doing something 15 times at least, right? Yeah, it's true. Yes, yes. About living, living a life. Did we say what the name of the book is yet? The First 15 Lives of Harry August by Claire North. It was a Patreon recommendation from one of our Patreon sponsors. Thank you, Joe. Patreon.com. Joe said, uh, I just wanted to start this email off by saying what a huge fan I am of your podcast. been listening to you. Uh, since the episode on it i had just finished reading the book myself and wanted to hear others opinions on it i looked online for a podcast that talked about it and yours (laughs) came up uh i have not regretted it since he said that that emphasis was mine um (laughs) joe said my request for a book that you might like to read would be the first 15 lives of harry august by claire north i think it is a pretty good book and an interesting premise that i will let you discover on your own since i'm really bad at giving out spoilers to books i've read well joe Thanks for your recommendation. And you've come to the right place. We're professionals. We know exactly the right amount of each book to spoil. Yeah. Like, like whether we're reading a time loop novel or a book where there's a house that's run by evil mushrooms. Like we know <laughs> we know exactly how much we need to talk about to get the point across. That is true. And neither of us prior to you reading it for the episode, Andrew, have read this book. So we're coming in right. fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, this Hot is and not fresh. a time loop situation. We have not read this book and recorded this podcast fifteen times. Boy, sometimes it, does, it feels sometimes it feels that way. You know does, what I mean? It does, doesn't it? You know what I mean? How many times can we say "Welcome to Overdue"? Anyway, um, so Claire North <laughs> is the author of this book, but that's not her name, is it? Is no, it? it's not. No, it's not. She's a liar. You know, everybody, did, have you ever thought about how everybody who writes under a pen name is a big fat liar <laughs> and they're just lying to you? Like the first thing they tell you is the name of their book. And the second thing they tell you is a lie because <laughs> it's their name, but it's not really their name. I've never thought about it that way. And you I, should, I encourage you to start thinking about it that way. <laughs> uh, Claire North, uh, also known as Catherine Webb, also known as Kate Griffin. Um, Catherine Webb being the one that is her real name. Yeah. Um, born in 1986, uh, has published like all, like probably close to two dozen books at this point, Andrew. Mm-hmm. She's our age. Yeah. She's younger than me. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Good for her, actually. She lives over in, in across the pond, though. They, they yeah. do things at a different speed over there. British, <laughs> American... 36 and British 36 are like there's a huge gap. <laughs> she, the exchange rate is just wild. She grew up in London. Uh, her dad is a publisher uh, and her mom is a writer. And when she was young and reading a lot of books, um, she says that she read every book in her local library in the like sci fi fantasy section from A to Z. And then uh, was like, well, I guess I'd just start writing them now because there aren't any more books for me to read. <laughs> and she, is that is that our eventual fates? Like when we finish all the books for the podcast, yeah. we're going to have to start making new ones? Yeah, I think so. Oh, boy. I oh, know. Boy. 
Um, Hold on to your butts, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She wrote her first book, Mirror Dreams. She started it when she was 14, or or started the first draft anyway. And her parents were like, I mean, let's find out if you could get this published. Like, we both live in this world and have a lot of skepticism around how good it could be. Uh, Let's find out. So her dad, like, recommended it to an editor. And then it made its way to Hatchet, what is now Hatchet Book Group. And it got published. Uh, and she wrote eight titles under the name Catherine Webb. They were predominantly like geared towards YA audiences, though I don't know if they were like called YA fiction. Yeah, really we've, we've talked about the, um, the sort of looseness and yeah. occasional unhelpfulness of that heading yep. as we've covered books. But yeah, if you want to know how a 16-year-old starts publishing books, then it helps to have your dad know an agent. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And she said she got an idea for the Matthew Swift series, which I think is kind of a modern, magical series. Um, she was going to... So she graduated from like London School of Economics and then went to RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, uh, and is a lighting technician and designer... Um, and she got this idea for this book while she was working on a show or something. And she took it to her publisher and they were like, um, cool idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Your style seems to be aging up a little bit. And it's a fantasy novel. That's a little different from what you've been doing before. How about we put a different name on it? Sure. And how about, and I listened to a, a very charming interview she gave to Imaginary Worlds, uh, the podcast. And she said repeatedly that they were like hey what if we picked a name that didn't start with w and was at the bottom shelf in the section like what if we gave what if we went with like a g so that when like people look for neil gaiman books and there aren't any new ones they maybe they find (laughs) your book what if we named you abby abramson with three a's at the beginning (laughs) so she starts writing under the name kate griffin publishes four books in the Matthew Swift series, two more in the Magicals Anonymous series, and then she has this idea for the first 15 lives of Harry August. I've heard different versions of the like origin story for this one. Not that she was like had some specific idea other than, hey, this is an idea for a book about this character that is reincarnated or something like that. Andrew will tell me mm-hmm. more about how that works. I um, sure will differs on whether or not she was like literally holding a ladder on a stage being bored or if she was on a break from uh, working in the theater world. But she was like, huh, I have this idea. I'm going to turn it in. And they said, hey, this is different again and is like more like quote unquote literature. So why don't we change your name again Mm -hmm. and we'll uh, we'll put you in another part of the alphabet. Mm -hmm. So you're going to go by Claire North now. And she's, it looks like she's published as Claire North pretty much exclusively since 2014. Yes. Like there, there has not been hopping between pseudonyms based on the, whatever book it is that she's working on. No, she is very aware of the pace though, at which they've changed. It's been pretty regular. It's been about every seven years. (laughs) So she did. That's what, that's what that's about. (laughs) She did joke that, uh, after her most recent book notes from, uh, the burning age, she might need to switch it up. Because uh, she's been going as Claire North for seven years, and maybe her publisher will uh, will change it up. She has said in interviews that coming forward and owning the multiple identities has been important, if only because she wanted to stamp down any speculation that like other established authors were writing these books. Yeah, because she's very aware of the fact that like if you know who an author is and you expect things, you're going to bring that into your reading of the book. But what she didn't want was people trying to do that with other authors that weren't her. <laughs> yeah, which is both unfair to her and unfair to them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she's won some awards, been nominated for some sci fi and fantasy awards. Uh, I think she worked in theater in the UK for a while and then I was reading some interviews that were like wow yeah uh, it is tough out there for a technician and people don't treat certain folks in the theatrical machine very well and she got a little burned out and I think has moved mostly on to concert lighting now okay um but anybody who is remotely in the theater world right now is very aware of how burnt out everybody is and at the prospect of returning and yeah. 
any interview you read where she talks about it is like, yep, that's all true. <laughs> all of it. Huh. It's, it's, I guess it's, it must be her passion because she has written and published a book almost once a year between 2002 and now. There are a couple of gaps, but there are also a couple of years where two things have come out. She she uh, spoke pretty uh like like she really values the difference between working solo on a work of fiction and working collaboratively. That's fair. Um, that's fair. And she also says she experiences what's the is it synesthesia? Explain what it is. To the me. the thing where sometimes you experience senses like in other senses. Like you have like oh, a, I, have, I, have, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, like when I hear a smell, <laughs> something like that. But it, it's for her. It, it's like a light version of that where she just responds very, uh, like powerfully to light and color. So hmm. I, I think there's like a way of looking at the world that is just like she's not going to give that up if she can help it. Okay. Um, but yeah, so. I've got some other quotes from her about this book specifically, but I feel like maybe we should save those until we get into it. It was published in 2014. It was her first book under this name, and it is probably one of her most... It's probably the most famous book under this name um, of hers. Yeah. So, anything else to add, Andrew? I think no, I just monologue well, I don't have for anything. a bit. I'm sorry. I'm, no, I'm, I'm cool to get into a... to fall into a time loop with you. So... Mm. <laughs> Okay, well, we get to, we should take a quick break first, and then we'll see what time it is when we get back. Okay. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. I want to tell you about a podcast called Book Dreams. Is that okay? Okay. Yes, please. Great. It's a show for everyone who loves books and misses English class. And over 70 episodes now, co-hosts Julie Sternberg and Evie Halem have been exploring everything from the genius of your favorite picture books to books bound in human skin. Gross. I know, it's super gross, but it's <laughs> yeah. pretty cool, actually. Um, they talk to folks like Brian Washington and Kristen Meinzer and Yolanta Greenberg, talking about self-help books, talking about reading cookbooks. Um, they've had episodes on backstabbing suffragists, uh, magicians, uh, freedom riders, all sorts of cool folks. Uh, and their cool books on book dreams. It's brought to you by the Podglomerate, and it's a member of Lit Hub Radio. New episodes run every Thursday. And Andrew, guess what? What? You can subscribe to Book Dreams on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this show. Cool. Craig, cancel culture is running amok. You're right. But you know one thing that you might actually want to cancel? <laughs> What? Uh, trial subscriptions. Yeah, that I would you like to cancel to those. not sign up for. Yeah. There's too many of them. I can't keep track of them. Mm -hmm, do mm -hmm. you have an idea on what I should do? Yeah, you should. Uh, you should grab your pitchfork and your torch, and you should head over to Truebill.com. Mm. Truebill is one of our sponsors this week. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. Uh, on average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And a Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. So that's handy anytime somebody pulls the old, you can sign up online, but you have to call somebody on the phone to actually cancel Ooh, thing i do like that because like. i don't yeah. want to spend time doing that yeah no because it's like talking to people on the phone who does that <laughs> <laughs> anymore <laughs> uh Trupo has only over two million users and it's helped them save over 100 million dollars uh so don't fall for subscription scams start canceling today at truebill.com slash overdue Go right now, truebill.com slash overdue. It could save you thousands of dollars a year, truebill.com slash overdue. And we're back with Andrew, hey. who read a book for this week's show. Andrew, tell me I more sure about did. your book. I sure did. I read The First 15 Lives of Harry August. you remember from before the break when we I talked about this? do. I heard you brought a clip. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> Just, I'm being a I'm being Johnny Carson. Don't worry about it. Just tell oh, me about okay. the book. <laughs> <laughs> Wild stuff. Is that him? Wild stuff. 
Duh. Ayo. <laughs> um, so the first 15 lives of Harry August, we've, we've talked about time loop fiction on this show. We are oh, both. Yeah. We're both we're fans. fans of of William Murray and his work in Groundhog Day and Ned Ryerson mm. specifically as well and Ned Ned the Head Ryerson yeah uh-huh. um, and we uh, read the book well I read the book Replay by Ken Grimwood like a hundred years ago but it is it's that's one that's stuck with me and that yep. I actually thought that I might want to go back to again after reading this Whoa, one just because get it I like the time I like the time loop yeah it's yeah I was back. also thinking we read the time machine not really a time loop but a time travel story um, I had read eleven twenty two sixty three again not specifically a loop but a book about going back to a specific part in history and doing it multiple times as if you could like you know change the machinery of, yeah. of history mm-hmm. um, so I'm interested to put this work which seems to have resonated with a lot of readers in the last you know five or six years like in conversation with those. But of course, I can't do that without you telling me about the book. Yeah. Well, I think, and my, I guess my inclination when I come up against a a work that is like, oh, hey, this is a time loop, is to start comparing and contrasting it with other time loops. I did see a a note from North or Webb, North, I'm just going to say North, um, where she said, like, the second she started writing this book, she deliberately avoided Groundhog Day and anything related to Ground. Like, she knew she needed to get away from. That's, I mean, that's fair enough. Just so um, that, just so that it wouldn't deliberately impact the story, yeah, even though yeah, she yeah. recognizes we're all in a miasma of time loop stories anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and so when you do when you do a story like this, you have to decide. I think I think with any time travel story, you kind of have to decide up front, like how, like, are we gonna do? Are we gonna go full like butterfly flaps its wings? Yeah. And like infinity things change in the future, or are we going to do a thing where an individual person can knock around in a system and do slightly different stuff without changing like world events on a large scale, or sure, even yeah. really disrupt, or even really disrupting like any given other person's like arc through that same time frame? Yeah, you know? it's like is am I is the loop about a big world thing or is it about me learning about myself Mm -hmm. and and those two can be in the same book but i do feel like some of the books we've read go in like lean towards one or the other yeah um what is your what is like the the base foundation we need to understand for how this book works so uh we are getting this entire book from the perspective of one harry august okay he is born in uh 1919 in uh in britain and he is he's a he's he is born of a union of a maid and a man who is not married to, to okay. that maid. he is an illegitimate <laughs> child born out of wedlock adopted by to the people who work the grounds on that estate huh okay and he lives a you know a, a I think pretty standard issue life for a, for a man living in that time. Like he served a bit in world war two, not mm. like right on the front, but was in it. Yeah. And, you know, he just kind of, he kind of lives a life and then he dies and then he is a kid again. Okay. Back where he started. Mm-hmm. So let me explain to you a little bit about, just like how Harry works. And then we can talk about how the rest of the world works because I feel it raises a lot more questions than it answers. If you start really digging into it, but I think it works in the moment because it just does. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's like, that's the kind of thing it's, Oh, I'm I'm thinking about the movie looper where like, I like that movie. Mm -hmm. I only saw it once. I had great Mm -hmm. time. I don't know if I ever want to see it again because I feel like I'm going to start asking a bunch of time travel questions. Yeah, that are gonna you make don't really me want to pick apart Looper. No, I really don't. But but I think I feel like on the vibes of it, right? Mm-hmm. Because we get everything through Harry and his perspective is the one that's like censored, oh, sure. and and his timeline is the one we're living over and over again. That kind of anchors us. That in makes time sense. in a in a way that would be pretty tough for a 
like a, a multi POV book to to carry off. Yep. Uh huh. Sure. Because so Harry is born in 1919. By the time you are three or four, you start to get all your memories of your past life back. And okay, by the that's time you're, when he but, gets it. Okay. Yeah, but like it starts when you're three, and by the time you're four or five, you remember everything about your past life. He is one of many. Um, it's it's a you know people who are all doing this time loop thing uh, call who are called either Ouroborans or um, Kalachakras. Okay, which I think is an actual like those are both terms from like different mythologies. I think Kalachakra is a, a Buddhist thing. And okay, Ouroboran is is a like you know, Ouro- snake eating its own yeah, tail like sure. mythology deal. Okay, um, and so multiple times throughout the book, Harry will say like, Oh, I'm 36. Oh, I'm, I'm 417 or whatever. Mm. Like he'll, he'll, he's keeping track of both his, like his age and his current life. And also how old he is overall. If and so that's where you, well, that's, where you yeah. that's where you get the 15 lives from. Like you were jumping around in time a lot. He will tell you usually what life he is in. Um, like the, so his second life, which is no, not the computer game. With all the wieners. Yeah. Um, he, his second life, like, and this is pretty common among Ouroborans, is they usually think that they are going bananas. Sure, sure. And often they end up taking their own lives because they don't understand what's going on. They can't fit in. Nobody is around to, like, help them or tell them what's going on. And then the third time around, most of them sort of start to have some inkling of, of what is going on. And it's in this time frame where most of them are found by other Ouroborans. Like sometimes they find themselves by referencing something that couldn't have happened before. Like Harry puts an ad in a paper saying though, in 1986, I think reactor four goes into meltdown. Okay. Please contact me. Like it's, it's stuff like that. Sure. Um, and there's this big sort of network of these Ouroborans called the Cronus Club. Great name. <laughs> and they all, you know, it, it's kind of, I, I really enjoyed all the descriptions of how the Cronus Club works. Cause, cause the deal is you've got like all these people are looping, but they're all not, they're not all looping the same loop. So yeah. you can go back to the third century or whatever and find a guy who is reliving, you know, the same 60 years in the third century over and over again. And he he might overlap with somebody who is living the fourth century. Okay, but they are not. They are never. They're not synced up. They have their own independent lives, and so you you would run into the same people over and over again through your loop. But they would all be living their own individual loops as well. Everybody living, dying, and then going back to where they started. And so, I mean, obviously, the the question is like. How does this work? How is yeah. everybody doing this like totally asynchronous time loop reality? Can I ask real thing? quick? Do they always yeah, die at the same age or no? Okay. So that is there. Ouroborans definitely can have an effect on the world or on themselves. Like if they, if they really try to like, you can go and you can die in a war early. You can, you know, you can eat, eat clean and 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 take really good care of yourself and like live a little bit further than you normally would like sure it, harry i think the furthest he ever lives is like 2003 or so okay um and most of the Ouroborans who were but most of the Ouroborans we're talking about are either a little older or a little younger than him like those cause just cuz those are the ones he has the most experience with like the older ones are in the Cronus club doing the classic like betting on horse races that they know the outcomes of thing to earn money in this life and then pay it forward to help other Ouroborans. Like it's, it's pretty frequent that some, you know, a kid will get an invitation to go to a boarding school or, or, you know, there will be something that happens that lets them speed up their, like getting back to their lives instead of having to be, kids again for a little bit of a new game plus childhood. scenario a little bit of a new game plus sure when he is so their lives or... aren't necessarily like harder than their past lives yeah they haven't like moved all the items around and stuff yeah. when they're when they're like <laughs> six or seven maybe the book doesn't cover this do they talk like a 200 year old 
I think that they, I mean, they, they obviously can. Mm. Like you've got in this book, you've got six year olds like murdering people. Oh God! <laughs> okay, so they, they like not acquire... on, not on screen, yeah. but like you, you, yeah, you you have all of your all of your faculties. Okay, sure. And your your like brain, and, and and that's really that's another question is like your brain chemistry is super different when you're six and when you're twenty two yeah. and when you're thirty six, and but but something about the way that the Ouroborans experience stuff. There is just kind of a continuity there where you are just a grown up human person in a little kid's body and you are you're affected by, you know, your physical appearance, but nothing going on with your like body chemistry seems to be changing anything about how you like experience the world. Yeah, she's she's said in at least one interview that like one of the most interesting parts for her of just like thinking about this. I don't know how much of it factors in the plot is just Mm -hmm. like having to live your puberty and adolescence multiple times. It would be so rough. It would be awful. (laughs) And I mean, like maybe the first time you'd try to do your 100% speed run, like, Oh, I did this before and I know what to do and not do this time. But by the time you're doing it, time number 15, you would just be like, please let me, be able to grow a beard so I can pass as an adult. Please, please, please. The other thing that's um, interesting about it being a club, though, is that for a lot of time travel fiction, it's like one person. It's one person. It's Bill yeah. Murray stuck in that town. It's mm-hmm. uh, Michael J. Fox getting teleported back to when his mom was hot. It, mm-hmm. you know, it's n- other people the, the, don't remind have me. Access. Put a put a put a put a bookmark in the in the kid discussion because that's another thing I want to talk about. Okay. And now and none of this is is intended as like criticism of this book at all. I just find time loops really interesting. Oh and sure. I like picking apart what the author chooses to like emphasize and what questions they ignore because you you literally have to ignore something. Yeah. Or just none of it works. Okay. As, okay. a, as a narrative. And so, yeah, I'm, so I'm not complaining. I'm just like, <laughs> let's talk about time loops for 27 minutes but so because like, how that's does all the, I want to do. <laughs> how does the fact that he is not alone? I know you said that the, the Ouroborans are not on the same clocks, mm-hmm. but like how does meeting other people like him and stuff change like narratively how she handles the fact that it's a time loop story? Like what kind of things does it afford her? You're just you um, you meet people at different times of their lives. Um, you you get that you there are people who you run into like once or twice per life, but you're kind of old friends because you have that longstanding relationship. Sure. Like it, it, a, a point of conversation among Ouroborans sometimes can be like, oh, this is this is what's getting me this time like this is this is what's slightly different in my life this time huh um it's and, and one of the things that the cronus club does that i really like is they so through communicating like young person to old person they can using you know like stone and 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 other mediums that are going to withstand the the test of multiple centuries like you can have ouroborans from like 1500 years ago communicating forward with you through like a game of telephone or through inscribing oh, stuff. Cool. And in the same way you can communicate with people ahead of you. And that communication with Ouroborans ahead of you is what is like the, what's driving the narrative part of the book. I think the the first half is almost entirely sort of world building and getting to know Harry and getting to know how everything works and how people relate to each other. And then the second half is all like time to save the world from this one specific threat now. Okay. Sure. And I'm going to use the world I just built as the backdrop for that. Okay. It sounds yeah. like you responded pretty positively to that first half. Am I wrong? Well, yeah. I mean, we, we talk about we're suckers for like a world building thing or like yeah. a magic system or like, that's just stuff that we like to dig into because we think it's interesting to, to, to think, think about. about yeah i yeah. I, I asked that because of the three star goodreads reviews three star goodreads reviews the primary like knock on the book is that it takes a while to get going so let me just read this from dan i'm gonna get my gripe okay. out of the way first 
The book moves at a glacial pace, mostly due to the constant digressions. The publisher's blurb makes it sound like the world is in jeopardy immediately. Not so. I was 30% of the way through the book by the time the little girl showed up. I guess that means something. That being said, this is a very compelling book. It deals with classic time travel themes like not messing with the past and weighty topics like how our experiences make us who we are. Harry's not the most interesting character I've ever read about, but he lives some interesting lives. And everybody else had a riff on that, which was like started slow, loved the back half or like liked the time travel stuff, but it took a while. I think that the back half is a, is an interesting sort of adventure story. Sure. I, I agree. And this is some, I think the, uh, Kirkus review on the book said something about this too, is just like Harry is sort of blank slatey. Like he is the person oh, you're yeah. experiencing everything through, but he is also detached in a, in a certain way. Well, he's that 15 can make lives him a in. Little, Right. Off putting. Yeah. And well, and so there are things that you discover like right at the very end of the book that I think explain that. And so it doesn't ultimately bother me that much. Okay. And because I am a sucker for like, how does your time travel work? It, that or, got you like, through. Sure. Yeah. Like I, I did not mind. I, I agree that it, if, if you are, if you crack the spine of a book and you say to yourself, okay, time to save the world. <laughs> no, it does not throw you in super quickly. Okay, sure. But that didn't that didn't bug me. And I think that like the part of the book I will think about more and the part of the book that we will end up talking about more is all the setup and the rules sure. and everything. Okay. Which maybe makes me a nerd. Like <laughs> Wait. Maybe whoa, maybe this is a maybe this is a book. Maybe it's a book for people who like curl up with a with some whiskey cider and they're like, I'm going to, I haven't read the fifth edition manual in a while. I'm going to, I'm going to get back into this. Andrew, are you just stunned and reeling from that revelation that maybe I'm a nerd? Yeah. Yeah. Been 500 episodes, man. It's been more than that. You're a nerd. Yeah. Nerd. (laughs) I hid it from everybody for so long. Ugh. This is just like what happened to Harry August in the first 15 lives of Harry August. <laughs> I'm just so proud of you for being willing to share that with everyone on air. Well, I mean, nerd visibility is really important. Oh, my God. I'm very, just great job, man. Thanks for being <laughs> Thank honest you. with me and with our listeners. It's very important. <laughs> so, well, you want me to put a pin in the kid thing. Is that useful to talking about the plot just, or more about the world It's not building? useful talking about the plot. I mean, okay. I think it is. It is. So Harry does in some of his lives meet, uh, meet women who he falls in love with and gets married to. Um, there is one in particular named Jenny who in his third life, he tries to tell about oh. what is happening to him. Uh-oh. And she like, she puts him in an asylum in like the 1950s or something. And so it gets pretty cuckoo's nest pretty fast. Sure. And that is, that is how Harry meets the Kronos club is like this, this government, this government agent is basically torturing him to find out how the future goes because he's been too right about too many things. Oh no. And so there, there's a, there's a, life in replay that is like that where they go yeah, to the yeah. and in the name of trying to do good and they just end up causing chaos um and but but Harry never has kids which okay. I think is really important and interesting like I it, it would have it would made it would have made the book a lot more complicated if he was going to have kids because the statistical likelihood of you having the same kid in two lives is oh, like nothing. Like, God. Like, like I, if I, <laughs> when my, if my brain is melting, I will, or if I'm like looking at him sleeping and, and like his little fingers moving and the, you know, the, his chest rising and falling, I will look at Henry and I will, I will think you are a statistical impossibility. Like the exact blending of genetic material, like, you know, d- you get pretty different kids from from couples who have multiple kids. Like you do not get the same results every time. Even mm-hmm. when the when the ingredients are ostensibly the same. And so even if you got married to the same person in every life, even if you had a kid around the same time in every life, like the likelihood that you would actually have the same kid twice is 
almost nothing. And I could totally see not wanting to deal with the emotional ramifications of that, of having kids and then outliving them and never seeing them again. Like that would be a bummer. And, and I, I get why that is not something that Harry August or Claire North <laughs> want to deal with. Two things that makes me think of is like one, as I was reading this book a little, like reading about this book, um, the like what you just said about the like your kids will die and then you live a life again and stuff like that reminds me of some of the Anne Rice vampire stuff some of a lot of vampire and, and other fiction where people are immortal kind of deals yeah. with that in general you don't run into a lot of Ouroborans with with kids and so I do wonder if that's a sort of a calculation they all make or yeah yeah that's interesting to think about and then I just double checked this because I couldn't remember how it works in the book in the time traveler's wife they keep trying to have kids but all of their unborn kids have the time travel gene and mm-hmm. so they'd like wink out of existence and it oh, is yeah and it isn't until like the sixth or seventh time that they finally have a daughter that is able to stay in the womb long enough to be born which uh-huh. is like that's a whole other, and it's, pretty, and it's another nice. version of the time traveler who comes and has sex with his wife. It's like that book. <laughs> I'm just now remembering how wild that book is. Um, but yeah, by skirting the kid question, because that could easily be what the book's about, right? Is like, or is there, do you meet any Ouroborans who are trying to live the same life over and over? Because that's another personality type I could see existing in this world. You don't meet a lot of them, like a, a lot of them, and this is a this is sort of a driver of the the back half of the book. Okay, is there is a sense that a lot of them just kind of settle into a kind of mediocrity or like, you know, I'll I'll never die. I'm just gonna, I'm here for a good time and a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna party and try different stuff and like learn a bunch of languages. It's, it's what I, what you would do if you knew you had unlimited time on this earth is you would just like, you would slow down a little bit. Yep. If you knew everything was going to reset every 80 years, you would probably lose a lot of your urgency about like trying to change the world. Like the world is just generally going to be how it is and you can just exist in it. Sure. And so there is a, there's a certain kind of like, complacency about a lot of Cronus club members actually, because it does sort of become passe a little bit to, to live yeah. your life over and over again. And in fact that, so there are a couple more elements of story that we need to know to really like understand the back half of the book is Harry is something called a mnemonic, uh, has a photographic memory basically okay. never forgets anything. Sure. God, um, that, there's a lot of pictures in his brain. That's a long time. Yeah. To have that um, kind of memory. But most most Ouroborans aren't. Most, you know. Yeah. Just like I would have trouble remembering what I was doing on any given day 10 years ago. Like, people just kind of forget yep. stuff that they did 300 years ago in some past life. It's just and it's kind of a natural progression of things. And so something that some Ouroborans do, especially if they've suffered something like traumatic in a recent life is they will um they will elect to forget which is essentially like you apply a shock to your brain just before you die that mm. sort of like wipes it blank whoa and then you wake up and you do the ouroboran thing over again so like you do you think you're a linear which oh, is you- what they call people who aren't ouroborans heck yeah you think like you you think you're a linear everybody in the cronus club kind of is honor bound not to talk about your past life in front of you because like if you did if you chose to forget you probably did it for a reason and you don't want to learn it again like when Um, well when like when will smith like sadly looks at tommy lee jones in men in black and he's like oh well he chose to go back and i gotta respect that yeah yeah it is like that it is actually exactly like that exactly like that okay just checking (laughs) great and so so he can't do that is what you're saying. Yeah, he can't do that to the point where he can't, he can't even have that forced upon him, mm. which is a, which is important for, for later. Um, so in one of his lives, Harry meets a guy called Vincent 
who mm. is a who's younger than him by a couple of decades, I think. And Vincent is well, okay, let, let's let's back up a little bit more. So I'd said that most Ouroborans don't try to change the world at all. That's more of a Cronus Club rule than it is a thing sure. that is impossible to do. Yeah. Because there is this guy in the 16th century, I think, who took a lot of notes about the about wars, like asked some probing questions of future Cronus Club members uh, to have stuff sent back in time to him and decides one day that he is just going to he's just going to change the world to try and like end all these like unjust wars and all the stuff that he is he is living through. And so you get and this this happens again at the end is another driving factor. Like the the main way what's the main way that you would speed up time if you were born again back in the like the 80s with all the knowledge that you have? Uh how would I like what do you what do you mean speed up time like how would you like, make how would you make stuff happen faster well the internet would be one yeah thing. like you would bring you would bring technology back and i was just i just kind of had a realization as you were talking about them talking to older ouroborans because of the way that the loops work if you mm-hmm. got to like 1980 mm-hmm. and you were like oh ronald reagan's the president and then you die, and you woke back up in 1930, and you mm-hmm. wrote down on a piece of paper, oh, Ronald Reagan's the president, and mm-hmm. you gave it to somebody else who dies and goes back 80 years, and then they write yeah. it. So that's how they communicate to people. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's so sick. I just, <laughs> like, I, it made sense to me in an instant. Yeah. But, okay, looking future-wise, yeah, you want to make the internet, you want to give people pacemakers you want to yeah, make because, because every you know, every every technological advancement is built on what came before it like if you if you want to have jet planes you have to have regular planes first like it's it's a it's a progression that goes the same way basically every time it happens in this in this world and every time it gets sped up so this guy has made a world where they've got like radio communication and jet planes in like the 1800s. Whoa. And, but you know, with, with advancing technology comes advancing technology. And it mm. turns out that the entire world is just like an irradiated nuclear wasteland. How do the by... later Ouroborans experience that? So this is a, this is a thing that, is explored some, but I don't fully grasp the the ramifications. Of, okay, because there are you. So you can do the forgetting, where you wipe your brain out, but you're still an Ouroboros, and you come back, you get to do the whole thing again. You can also be permanently snubbed out as an Ouroboros if somebody prevents your birth. Whoa! And the thing about that that gets weird is like. They don't have, like some another Ouroboran can do that and they don't have to prevent your birth every time they come back. As long like as they if, do it once. Yeah. And so that's and Whoa. so that's what isn't quite explored about what happens to future Ouroborans. Like we will we will talk about the like the the back half of the book and the the narrative thing that's driving it, but like if you kill future Ouroborans but then the time loop resets and you don't do all that stuff that would have killed them. Like, are they still born again eventually or are they snubbed out? It seems like because maybe I, if they don't have a birth to return to, you have unmoored whatever metaphysical thing. Yeah, but if, but if you, but if you, if, if whoever changed the loop in the first place changes it or doesn't, you know, fails to change oh, it the no. next time, oh, then. No then you would be born. And so would you come back as a, as an aura born again? Like it is, it would, the only way for this book to work is almost like you would have to also account for like infinite potential universes. I think you do. Yeah. I think it's not, it's not made explicit in this, in this book that everybody is living in like one of many possible universes. But I think if you're trying to come up with head canon that makes it all logically makes sense, it would, it would have to be something like that. Okay. Okay. Um, so the the guy that 
Harry meets is that is he going to be the plot? Is he plot man? He's going to be plot man. Okay, and so okay, so he meets this this guy. He is talking to him about like this weird like quantum physics stuff, and they get into a little bit of a fight about you know what is you know, what is possible like scientifically to understand. And Harry like does the thing where he drops a couple of references to future stuff that hasn't happened before, and discovers that this guy is an Ouroboran, but he's not interested in being in the Cronus Club. Okay. And so they just kind of go their separate ways for a while. And eventually in one of his lives, uh, Harry is visited by like a six or seven year old girl. And she says, you know, she, she's carrying a note back in time from the future and the world is ending, mm. but it's ending faster. Uh Oh, so something is happening as as with that story of the the guy in the in the Renaissance sixteen hundreds, yeah. yeah, like th- there is another th- somebody else is messing with stuff that they shouldn't mess with. Okay, and so the second half of the book is all like it is. Of course, it's the it's the guy, it's Vincent, the guy who Harry meets, who he has a like. Of it's easily his closest friendship. Like I think Vincent Vincent is the only person. There, there are a couple of different Ouroborans who Harry seems to genuinely enjoy hanging out with, but even the ones he's closest to, he like when it's actually asked of him, like, is this person like a close friend? Are you close with this person? He ends up saying no. Like he okay. kind of holds everybody at some kind of a remove, which like I would get why you would do that with linear people because it's like if I had to go all the way back to the start of our friendship and like put in the work to be friends with you all over again. Like there, there would be an element of tedium to that because you just kind of want to skip ahead to the point where you're yeah. friends. Yeah, that's true. But I think if you tried to do that with anybody kind of out of nowhere off the bat, you'd be like, you're coming on a little too strong and I'm, I'm not comfortable with this. Oh situation. yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe you'd have to wait like six loops and then it would be like, Go, it'd be like, oh, let me be friends with Craig this loop. It'd be like yeah, watching. Yeah, I've got nostalgia for becoming friends with Craig. <laughs> hey, I want to watch the first two seasons of The Office again. It's been I a few watch, years. Yeah, I want to watch Deadwood in, down the hall in yeah. my college dorm again. I'm going to go be friends with Craig again. Yeah, it's been a few loops since I saw Craig. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I see your point where it's like, I can identify with, why wouldn't you try to, hang out with the two or three cool Ouroborans that you know are out there. Yeah. Like, and I guess again, infinite time, you just assume, you know, I'll run into him again. That, Oh, that's, that's kind of sad. Like, but there, hmm. like it's, you know, there, yeah, there are yeah. no supposedly, unless somebody starts messing with the timeline, there yeah. are no consequences to like choosing not to see somebody for a while or like going to another country and just like getting lost in, in the in learning languages and and searching for the meaning of of life because that's a thing that a lot of early life you know early cycle Ouroborans do is try to figure out like what is the what is why why is this happening to me what is yeah. causing this what's the meaning of this and the book never really the book never explains that you have to cool. be okay with never yeah as in Groundhog Day yeah there I mean there's a, there's a light implication that whatever force has done this to Bill Murray is waiting for him to specifically be nice enough to Andy McDowell to win her love. <laughs> yeah. That's because that's what's he does prove. learn how to be nice to everybody else in the entire town. And then his coup de gras is to finally get, get in with Andy McDowell. Yeah. And so that is the, like, apparently is that's what a, they, that's what they want. Is there a read on that movie where she like cast a spell on him? Mm. think about oh, it oh because she ooh, she wants him to fall in love with her yeah and all but, he, but maybe also she wants him to be a slightly better person yeah think about it i mean i always think about you know you try to leave the town you yeah. have one time of day on one highway. Maybe you try another time. Maybe you try another way. It's like it's not like a coyote roadrunner thing where you're allowed to try every idea one time and if it doesn't yeah. work you have to move on to the next uh-huh. idea. <laughs> so so the the Wapo review um 
said that, like, kind of praised the Valentine thing. Valentine, that's his name, right? Vincent. Vincent, excuse me. Um, Vincent Rankis. As kind of a arch enemy becomes friend, so like my best friend, my enemy kind of thing. Yep, yep, yep. yep. That is that is the vibe, and it's it's pretty successful to the extent that it leaves me cold a little bit. It is because Harry, even like he, so there are all right. Vincent's trying to do some mad scientist thing. He's speed. He's the one speeding up the tech tree. Mm. He's the one who is like he's caused all this harm to future Ouroborans, and then also because he doesn't want people to be. No, you know, he doesn't want if if you're an Ouroboran and you notice, oh, hey, somebody has some like radio technology 15 years before they ought to like that perks the ears of the Cronus Club and they come for you. OK, because they know what happened with that guy in the 1600s and they're not going to let it happen again. So you have sure. to figure out a way to do it under the radar. And the way that Vincent eventually chooses to do it under the radar is he enlists the help of somebody who's about 30, 40 years older than him. And they go around mostly just like zapping Ouroborans and making them forget, like forcibly making them forget. But in a couple of instances, killing people. Oh God. And Harry, while intrigued by what Vincent is doing on like a scientific level and on a, like what is the meaning of all this level comes, comes around to a, like who, who, what, what gave you the right to, choose to like play God with all these sure. people. And so sure. that's, that's kind of his revenge arc. But um, like, so, so Vincent tries to make him forget because Harry does not really, he, it's a pretty closely guarded secret. He doesn't tell Vincent that he is a mnemonic because he, you know, is born out of wedlock and there are like no uh, records of his birth. It is hard to find where he came from to kill him, ah. like to permakill him. And so Harry goes through lives like 13, 14, 15. Like Vincent has said, it's going to take me five lives to like get the tech stuff going quickly enough to, to get to where I need to be, to build this like God machine. A quantum mirror is what it's called. And it's very Lovecraftian in its vagueness. (laughs) Does he have an end goal that he's articulated? He just wants to, he wants to find like what the meaning of the universe is. Okay. It's like the the way it's described is like, you know how like water falls down a a ledge and it erodes the soil and like each step of this process lets you assume something else about how the way the world works. And so what if we followed that all the way down to the atomic level and we found whatever the meaning of, of existence is, we found some, some, uh, explanation for like, why the universe is okay like, that that is what vincent is sort of chasing at the expense of the rest of the world an evil honestly. large and, hadron and, collider yeah yes. sort of okay. yeah um, but, but that also means giving a whole bunch of other people technology way sooner than they should have it which is going to cause a bunch of war and, and yeah it will cause yeah. a bunch of war it causes like global warming to yep. just sure. completely go nuts out of control because the technology is being introduced at and, a super yeah, fast rate yeah. and he's not he does not seem to be as interested in introducing like futuristic carbon capture methods why can't the, he yeah why can't he just get to nuclear fusion real fast i don't know i don't know i don't huh. know why he can't do a, a green new deal for like time <laughs> loopers but um so harry goes through his last couple of lives like vincent like so he works with vincent for a while and then has second thoughts and then vincent like tortures him to try and find his point of origin and then like attaches electrodes to his head and tries to make him forget. But because Harry is a mnemonic, he can't forget. Okay. But Vincent doesn't know that because he doesn't know that Harry's a mnemonic. And so Harry has like spends his next couple lives, like trying to find Vincent's point of origin because mm. forgetting is not like you can't make him forget. He's a mnemonic. It's an option off the table. If you want to prevent all this time change stuff from happening, and you don't think you're going to change his mind, which seems pretty unlikely, then the only way is to prevent him from being born. And so Harry has to go through multiple lives where he's like getting close to Vincent, close enough to find out stuff about his life that 
Vincent wouldn't like naturally tell somebody without tipping Vincent off that he still has all of his memories. Yeah. Okay. And so you're reading this all through like three layers of duplicitousness by the end. And it does (laughs) kind of, you, you pick up a, like these are two guys who can relate to each other Mm. easily vibe, but it is sometimes hard to, you just kind of sometimes you just kind of have to believe that he and Harry are like these peas in a pod, like sure destined to be friends, destined to be enemies thing, because that's what makes the story works. But you don't always feel it because Harry does feel a little detached and does feel a little vague. And the reason I mean, the reason why he does come off as detached is because at the very end of the book, he is writing to Vincent like they are both. They've both been, they're both dying. Mm. Uh, Harry slightly faster than, than Vincent. Uh, but, you know, Harry is writing a letter to Vincent saying, I, I have beaten you. I have won. Like this entire book has been a record of, of my life and everything that has led us up to this point. And so, may, yeah, maybe you would, because you have so much perspective on it, you would, you would feel a little removed from the events as, as you were recounting them. But Sure. Sure. And I think that expl- explanation mostly holds up, but like, yeah, if you were going to have a complaint about the characterization or, or the relationships between characters, that's probably what you would zero in on is, is Harry's just a little bit of a cipher. Mm. And it, it it is hard to know what actually matters to him because he does change his mind a bunch on like these really big questions. And you don't you don't really understand what's motivating him always like it, it is, you know, not wanting everybody to, to die or not sure. wanting people to play God and make all these decisions for all these people, both linear and Ouroboran. Like I can understand the motivation behind that, but. It is a little, you get a little bit of whipsawing where because the story needs it, like he does work with Vincent for a while and then he decides not to. And it's just oh, kind of like yeah. a little, a little wobbly in that way. Does that make sense? No, that does make sense. And it, it certainly explains the number of folks uh, on the Goodreads review page that were like, this went from a almost did not finish to I couldn't put the book down at the end where it's like, yeah, yeah if yeah. you're invested in the world building and you get over that hump of like, who is this guy and why does he seem a little standoffish or bland or, or whatever your response to him is. Um, but you get invested in the relationship and like, well, let me just see where this freaking goes like that. Mm-hmm. Sounds like what happened to you, except you actually were like still on board for the first. Yeah. Time. You, know, you know, it's it's just a couple of pretty different books attached to each other. Mm. And you, oh, sure. you do need to you do need the to read the first book to understand the second <laughs> book, but like tonally and in like what they're focused on, they're pretty different. Okay. Well, now that we've recorded this podcast fifteen times, Andrew, what do you anything you think that you want to do in the next one differently? I would I would say that's an interesting idea, but the worst idea of all time already exists. Yeah, yeah. as a podcast. Yeah. And I don't know that if we wanted to record a podcast on the same book 15 times, I don't, hmm. What if we did 50 shades of gray, like 10 times and what we try we, to record a different podcast every time. What if we just did it? How would that like go? One more time. Ooh. Even that alone. Ooh. Oh no, I we should have done it. For, we should have done it for, well, we should have done it for 500 because what's 50 times 10 It's 500. Huh? Okay, well, maybe we don't have to do it now. Should have read it 10 times for episode five. Oh, crap. That's what I'm saying. Um, I I like this one. This one one is, it knows what I want out of a book. And it gave it to me mostly. That's that's always good. Just like give me a fun system to work through and write it in an engaging way. Hey, most books could stand to just do that. Yeah. So the good ones do. Um, If you... The listener want to tell us what you would do in some of these lives or how you would pass a message between centuries. You can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at overduepod. Thanks to Jack, Rasheen, Jonathan, Anissa, Bray, and Erica, and anybody else reaching out to us in the past week. Seems like some new folks are finding the show recently. Um, Great to see you. Let us know how you got here. And uh, enjoy the ride. Thanks to Nick Larandis. 
for our theme song. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Just go to OverduePodcast.com. It's our internet website. We have links to the books that we have read, the ones we are going to read. Uh, we have a link to our Patreon page, which Craig has mentioned. That's patreon.com slash overduepod. You can get bonus episodes early and get a few other little fun reward things. But if, if you don't or can't donate, that's totally fine. You will always eventually get to hear everything that we are doing. It's just a, it's a way that people have chosen to support us over the years, and we are infinitely, bottomlessly thankful for it. Yeah. Um, next week, Craig, what are you reading? Fingersmith by Sarah Waters, I believe. Is that her All name? Right. Did I, yeah, that did is I get name. in one? Excellent. I'm looking at it right now. Wonder, why do you ask, you jerk? Because you're reading it. So I thought it would be good if you knew what the book was. I do know what the book is. <laughs> okay, well, I'm good. You've passed, you, you've passed my quiz. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And until we talk to you the next loop, try to be happy. <laughs> That was a HeadGum Podcast.